Oh dear. Hey guys, and welcome to the Coffee and Coding Podcast, the show where we discuss everything there is to know about app development. I'm your host, Rob J, and in this episode, I'll be talking all about freelancing, the pros and cons versus being in a permanent job, the differences in pay and salary, risk versus security, how I find work, how you can structure your CV or resume for the best success at landing a gig, project-based freelance work versus contract work, and much, much more. Now on to the show. So before we get into the meat of the episode, I guess a quick background for why I'm doing this. So it's become kind of evident to me from doing the podcast that those who aren't contractors and those who aren't freelancers don't seem to have much understanding of the difference between being a permanent employee and being a freelancer. Some people seem to think it's this mythical role where you need to be a quote unquote expert to be a freelancer, which is 100% not true. And so I asked in last week's episode if people would be interested in me doing this episode and I got a thumbs up from everybody that contacted me. I got a bunch of listener questions on Twitter. I got a number of questions come through on the Slack community, coffeeencodingpod.com slash Slack. If you're not already on there, feel free to sign up. And so I thought I'd kind of give what is my take on, I guess, a freelancing 101 type deal. Not sure what the right word would be to use, but essentially I'm just going to brain dump all the information that I have on freelancing into this episode. So if you're thinking about becoming a freelancer or you're just curious about what freelancing looks like, or you're not sure whether you should be a permanent employee instead of a freelancer and what the differences are, all that, all that good stuff, then that's what I'm going to be talking about in this episode. And aside from that, the only other thing I want to mention is that this episode has chapter markers. It's the only episode I've done so far that has chapter markers, which means if you go to the show notes of this episode in your podcast app, you'll be able to tap a timestamp and it will take you to that exact place in the podcast episode where I talk about whatever it says next to that timestamp. So if you don't want to listen to the whole thing and you only want to find out the difference in pay between a freelancer and a permanent employee, or you want to find out how I find work, then you can check out the show notes and you can just tap and just go to that part and not listen to the rest. And that's basically it. So I hope people find this useful. If you do find it useful, then please do let me know. Message me in the Slack community. Contact me however you want. If you want to send a pigeon, then that's absolutely fine. Just make sure that the pigeon knows where to drop the letter because otherwise I might not get it. And if you don't enjoy this episode and you don't ever want to hear me talking for 45 minutes or so again, then let me know that also. So with the caveat that this episode is going to be based entirely on my own personal experiences and my own thoughts around freelancing and based on conversations that I've had with other people over the years, here is the freelance guide for developers. I hope you find it useful. Okay, so before we properly get into it, I guess the first thing to do will be to define what is a freelancer or probably better put, what is freelancing? And I feel like including myself, people think that when somebody says, I'm a freelancer, you imagine them going out, they're finding their own clients, they're doing deals, they're getting paid to build cool things, and they're living that kind of four-hour work week lifestyle. Four-hour work week, if you have not read that, read it. Nothing to do with software development, but it is great for expanding your mindset. Yeah. But anyways, back to uh, freelancing. So I think people think that it's kind of that four-hour work week lifestyle, which is, you know, you work from your laptop in a coffee shop, or you work on a beach, you work when you want and you charge what you want and all that kind of stuff. And at least in my experience of doing this since 2012, that's never been the case. I think the perception versus the reality is very different. So 
In software development, there is two kinds of freelance role. The first being project-based, which is closer to what you might imagine a freelancer being, which is you get paid for a project. It's exactly what it sounds like. So somebody will come to you and say, hey, I want you to build this app. And you say to them, right, it's going to cost you $15,000 to build this app and I can deliver it in three months. And they pay you $15,000 to deliver this specific app in three months. And it doesn't have to be an app. It could be a feature of an app. It could be an update to an app, whatever. But it's a specific amount of money for a specific amount of work with a specific goal and a specific time frame. So that's project-based freelancing. The most, or I should say the more common form of freelancing in software development is contract-based freelancing. And contract-based is you get paid a, usually it's a day rate. So you get paid X amount of money a day for a period of time. So the contract could be anything. It could be for a week. It could be two weeks. It could be a month, three months, six months, whatever. So you get paid a day rate for that period of time to work on a specific thing with no defined goal. So that could be, let's say you get employed by a startup. They offer you a six month contract at 400 pounds a day to work on their app. And you're an iOS developer. So during that six months, you will work each day on their iOS app, doing whatever needs to be done on their iOS app. So there's no specific thing. Nobody's going to say to you, hey, have you delivered this feature? Because that's not why they're hiring you. They were hiring you to work on the app as a whole. And that's contract based. And that's primarily what I'm going to be referencing here, unless I say otherwise, because I've done a few project based projects. They were my first projects and they kind of are what got me started on the path to freelancing. But I've done very well. I think I've done none since 2012. Maybe I've done one. Actually, I tell a lie. I'm pretty sure I did one in 2015, but primarily I've done contract based and primarily that is where my expertise lies. And also I would still say, in my opinion, that's the most common form of work in the software development industry. So industry. So with that in mind, the next thing I want to talk about is what is the difference between a freelancer and a permanent member of staff? I find this to be quite an interesting question. I would say the first thing to think about is, I say you go into an office and you have one person's a freelancer, one person's a permanent member of staff, and they're both Android developers. And they're both working on the same app and they're both working off the same Jira board. And so in terms of software engineering and in terms of the work that they do, there is no difference between that freelancer and that permanent employee. But everything outside of software engineering is very different. Or I should say, everything outside of coding, to simplify it, is very different. And from a higher level, some of those differences include one of them gets paid more money. And I'm going to talk, I'm going to talk UK numbers for the purpose of this episode because that's what I know and that's the easiest for me to reference but I would say while I don't know what salaries and day rates etc are in other countries I can say that the scale is probably roughly the same so if a freelancer in the UK gets paid more 50% more let's say than a permanent member of staff I would kind of expect that to translate roughly speaking so I had a look on Glassdoor today and I also had a look on payscale.com to see what the average salaries were for an iOS developer in London and at least from my experience, that can roughly translate to an Android developer as well. So let's pull up that tab. So an iOS permanent employee in London at mid-level would be on £53,000 a year on average compared to an iOS contractor or freelancer on a mid-level day rate of let's say £300, which is kind of low for even a mid-level, but let's just go with that. So £300. So a permanent employee at the same level would be earning £53,000 on average and a 
freelancer or contractor would be earning £73,500 a year on average, assuming that they both worked the same amount of days that year, which would be a full-time schedule. And I'm going to get into it a bit later about one of the benefits of freelancing being that you don't have to work freelance uh, a full-time schedule. And then if you compare that to a senior average salary that I also got online today, £64,000 would be an experienced iOS developer's permanent salary on average compared to if they were on £550, which is a fairly good day rate for a senior iOS developer in London. And compared to that, the day rate would be £550, which means they would earn £134,750 a year if they worked the same amount of days. So you can see straight away that freelancers get paid way more than permanent employees. And I know there's definitely going to be people out there listening that are permanent and earn way more money than the averages that I've just quoted. And that's totally fine. I've seen I've seen jobs mailed to me that are way more than those. But for the purpose of this, this was the average. So that's what I took. But even if you like, I've seen lead Android developer roles going for up to £90,000 a year. But if you take that £550 day rate, you're still looking at a difference of about £45,000 more you'd get paid as a freelancer for working the exact same schedule and doing the exact same work. So I guess if you look at that from that perspective, it's a no-brainer. But then there's other things to factor in as well. So if you're a freelancer, you don't get holiday pay. But if you're a, if you're a full-time employee, you only get X amount of days a year that you can take on holiday and you need someone to approve your holiday. If you're a freelancer, you can say, I'm not going to be in on Tuesday and Wednesday. But you could also just not take a contract for the period of time that you want to be away if it was going to be, say, three months. And you don't have to answer to anybody. So there's things, there's other things to weigh up in between. It's not just based primarily on the money. Another question that's come up quite often, especially to me, when I started and I decided that I was going to do freelance work, I got told by so many people that don't do freelance work and aren't even in the industry. Don't do freelance work. You know, it's, it's very risky. You don't know when you're going to get your next job. You have to take every job you get because you don't know when the next one's around the corner. And, you know, all this kind of old school thinking mentality, but I still get asked that today. And a lot of the permanent employees that I've talked to in places that I've worked as a freelancer, and I've asked them, you know, why, why are you not freelancing? Because you could be earning way more money and you obviously don't like doing this role that you're doing right now in terms of this company. And quite often the answer that you get is because of the, the risk factor of going freelance or the perceived risk factor of going freelance. So I just want to kind of share my thoughts on the risk versus security argument between being a freelancer and being a full-time permanent employee. So from my point of view, I freelance because of the freedom that I get from being a freelancer. And by freedom, I mean, I can take a three-month contract and take three months off. I can take a six-month contract and take six months off. I get to pick which companies I want to work for. I get to pick which projects I want to work on. I get to say no when I'm approached by companies that I don't want to work for or projects that just sound incredibly boring, like, hey, we'll pay you your day rate for a month to come in and fix all these bugs. And I get exposed to a wide variety of different things. Like I've been doing this since 2012 and I've worked for corporates. I've worked for startups. Some of them failed. Some of them succeeded. I've worked on social media apps. I've worked on pension apps. I've worked on apps that I'm probably not allowed to talk about because of some weird NDA condition, even though they're not exciting. But the fact that I'm not allowed to talk about it makes it sound like it's exciting. Whereas when you're a permanent employee, one, you're working on what you're told to work on. You don't get to pick. If, you're, if your company builds three different apps and they tell you today, I want you to work on this one. And tomorrow you, I want you to work on this one. That's what's going to happen. 
In terms of freedom, you're limited. So if you're like me and you like traveling, you can only travel inside holiday time and you can only travel on that holiday time if it's approved. So, you know, you can't go away for six weeks because at least in the UK, you don't get six weeks holiday period. And also they won't let you take all your holiday in one go. So for me, that's a huge restriction. But if you take that kind of freedom aspect out of it, and let's say you're not that fast, then there's a few other arguments that people have that I don't want to say like I'm debunking because I feel like they're all very valid arguments, but I think they just depend on your particular situation. So one of the things people say is this risk where you might not get another contract or you might not find more work. Whereas if you have a permanent role, you're secure because there's always going to be work and you still go to work the next day and you get a steady paycheck and et cetera and et cetera. And I want to say upfront, if you have a mortgage and you have kids and you have responsibilities and you don't have a lot of savings or you don't, you're not willing to dig into your savings to take that risk that you might not get work for a couple of months, then probably not probably, most definitely, I would say then permanent work is for you because I would rather people feel comfortable in what they're doing than feel frightened that they're not going to get more work and feel like they're in this position where they're forced to constantly take work that they don't want to do just in case they don't get that next gig. I would say if you're in a position where you're willing to take a little bit of risk, then there is that risk. But I would say I've been doing it since 2012 and there's never once been a period of time. I'm pretty certain I can say there's never once been a period of time between now and then that I would not have been able to find a contract or that I've not been approached about contracts. Even during times when I was traveling, I didn't want one. I'm still getting emails every single day about work. And in the worst case scenario, that some of them are roles that I wouldn't want, but if I needed the money, I could do it. So I would take that into account when you're talking about risk versus security. And I would also say, so I've worked at a company where I'm a freelancer and my notice period on my contract, which was whatever, three months or something, is a month, right? So if they want to get rid of me, they have to tell me a month in advance, we don't need you anymore. Here's your notice. Same as an employee. But I've worked in companies where you have employees who are under a probation period, which you don't get as a freelancer. And that probation period means that they could let go of you in a week. In some companies, obviously it varies. And I've been in a situation where I've worked for a company and they've come to me and they've said, Rob, we've decided to go in a different direction and we're closing down the Android app, which means all the Android freelancers on that team are now being given their notice, which is fine, fine for us. We're, we're used to moving around, so it's absolutely fine. And then you have permanent staff that are also now being given their notice and some permanent staff who are under their probation period, whose notice period is even shorter than ours, who are getting paid way more money than them. So it kind of goes to show that, yes, you know, having a job feels more secure because you definitely get a steady paycheck, but you're also 100% putting your financial fate, so to speak, in somebody else's hands. And at any point, they can tell you, here's your notice period. You know, sorry, the company's not doing well. We're going under. We have to let you go you know, sorry, we think you did something you're not supposed to, you're fired. There's all different ways that they could get rid of you. So I don't see it personally as much as a security. And my final note on that point, I guess would be, if you are someone who is willing to take risks and you want to be able to pick what you work on and you want to pick when you work on it and you want to pick where you work from, because if you can get a remote gig, then you can work from anywhere you want and you want to earn as much money as possible if that's the motivation for you, and you want to be able to take time off whenever you want, then I would recommend freelancing because it ticks all those boxes. And don't forget that you can always go perm anytime you want because you're building so much experience and portfolio as you go through all these different contracts. 
And that brings me to my next point, which is a question that I was actually asked. If I was more organized, I could tell you who asked me and where, but I've just written them all down in one giant list. So, so somebody asked me, what is the difference in experience required to be able to apply for a contract role and obviously be successful versus to apply for a similar level role as a permanent employee? And I would say the difference is basically zero. If you're good enough to apply for a mid-level job, as a permanent employee, you're good enough to be a freelancer as a mid-level freelancer. The only caveat that I would have there is that when you go through the interview process, if you're applying for a freelance or contract role, they expect you to know whatever it is that is required for you to be able to do the job. So if you're a mid-level developer and you say you can do X, Y, and Z, you need to be able to do X, Y, and Z because in the interview, if you can't, they will hire someone else who can. Whereas if you're of equivalent experience, but you're applying for a permanent position and you say you can do X, Y, and Z, but you're kind of good at it, but not really. Or even if you can't do it, they might still hire you based on the fact that permanent employees are hired so that they have room to grow, I would say. So you don't need to know everything. You need to know enough to get the job and then you can learn as you go. Whereas freelancers are hired to be able to hit the ground running on day one, they should be able to drop you into the code base and you should be able to get started and not have to go on YouTube and start watching tutorials about things that they're using. So I would say that's the only caveat there. But otherwise, the answer to that question is no, there is no difference in experience required in my experience. So the next question that I got was about how do you jump from freelance to perm? No, that's the wrong way around. How do you jump from permanent I nearly did it again. How do you jump from permanent to being a freelancer or a contractor? I mean, I would say it's the same as getting a new job. You start applying for stuff. The only caveat that's there is that you've, for the period of time you've worked for whichever company, maybe you've only worked on one app and you've been working on it for three years. So unless it's like a big name app where people that are hiring you are going to be able to say, oh my God, you worked at whatever. So you must be great. They have no idea what the app is that you worked on. They're going to look at it. They're going to be like, yeah, it's cool. But you've only got that experience. So I would say it's slightly harder to get hired as a freelancer like that. But the only thing that I would say about that, and that's the same as new people going from being, you know, zero coding experience to wanting to be a freelancer or wanting to get a permanent role and just wanting to be a software engineer is you just have to build more portfolio. So if you've worked for a company for three years, and let's say the three the three years that you've you're there, you've only worked on one thing, and maybe that thing's even under NDA, so you can't really tell people what you did. Then you know you can start playing for stuff, and if you start getting pushback because there's someone else that has quote unquote more experience, you can build your own experience. You know, start building your own apps and just start releasing them, even if you don't expect them to go anywhere, because then you can start putting your CV. Oh, I built this one. I built this one. I used this cool technology that I taught myself. I used this one. That's basically how I got started in Android development and how I've been able to be a freelancer since 2012 is that in 2011, I started building apps for fun for myself. So then when I decided I wanted to make the jump to do this full time, I already had four apps that I could point people to and say, I built those as opposed to having zero experience and trying to explain to people, I do know how to code. You just have to give me the chance. So I would say that's the only difference. And then I also got a question which I thought was really interesting, which was, am I too old to be a freelancer? And the answer to that question is 100% no. Because one, my belief is you're never too old to do or be anything as ridiculous as that might sound. There's no limitations. Limitations are made up, so go for it. And on the flip side of that, even like however old you are, if you have the skills and you have the experience to get the job, then you are good enough to do the job period. And if that's permanent or freelance, it doesn't matter. And 
I guess this kind of leads into the next thing, which is a little bit about my experience in interviews so people can understand what it is that at least I've looked for when I've helped companies hire and what I've seen other people look for when they're helping companies or when they are hiring as well. So for some of the companies that I worked for, I have screened a lot of CVs and I have helped conduct a lot of interviews. And the first thing about screening someone's CV or resume, if you're in the States, or I'm sure other parts of the world too, is not once have I ever looked to see if the the thing they're referencing on the CV that the company they worked for, was it a freelance role or was it a permanent role? I don't care. So if you're coming from a permanent role to a freelance and you've got 10 years experience, I really don't care why you're making a jump. I don't care. The second thing I would say is I also don't care if you have a degree or if you have a nano degree or if you completed some sort of online course and they gave you a certificate because the only thing that I'm looking for and all the people that I have seen do this are looking for as well is real world experience being working for another company or building something yourself and publishing it on the play store or even publishing it on github if you don't want to put it on the play store on the app store people are looking for experience they're not looking for qualifications i also missed that there was a question which was do you have to have been perm or permanent employee to go freelance and again this falls into the same category no You just need to have experience. You need to have portfolio projects that you can show people, whether that be code or whether that be actual apps that they can download on their phone. Experience is all people care about. Can you do the job? Not have you been able to do the job for someone else previously? If you can demonstrate to me that you can do the job by something that you've built, what you haven't done previously is a non-starter. And you can take it from me being that I never came from a mobile development background or any development background professionally, I should say. Like I've always done... I did a computer science degree, I I did programming in my spare time, all that kind of stuff. But when I got my first Android freelance gig, it was my first Android anything gig. And the only things that I had to support my kind of job application for that process would be the experience I built for the apps I had released onto the App Store. So now to probably the big one for being a freelancer or a contractor, how do you find work? That's a question that I get asked a lot. How do you find work? Where do you find work? I think if you listen to the start of this episode where I said that the freelance image that you might have in your head of someone finding clients and building projects by themselves and working from a beach and all that, if you take that out of your head and you look at it as you can get a project-based contract, or I should say you can get a project-based freelance gig, or you can get a day rate based contracts. If you take those two things, then it makes it much easier. So how do you find work? So the first thing that you want to do is make sure that your CV and your resume and your LinkedIn are up to scratch. So this is 100% my personal opinion. And I'm sure if you go online, you'll find conflicting things about how you should structure things, etc, etc. But this is based on me being pretty successful at getting contracts and getting gigs across the years. And also it makes the hiring process for whoever's looking at your CV or resume or LinkedIn much, much easier. And that's also based on my own experience of doing that. So the first thing is when you're doing your CV, list your experience technically. So if you are, and I'm going to talk from an Android perspective, so hopefully people who are iOS or React Native or Flutter can take what I'm saying and translate it to their own platforms and coding languages, etc, etc. If you're an Android developer and you have experience with Retrofit and Picasso and Glide and Volley and all the different SDKs that you can think of and you've worked with the Facebook SDK and the Twitter SDK and you've done GraphQL and you've worked with Apps Sync, all these different things, 
they should say that on your CV and your resume. And if you worked on cool custom views, you should say that. And aside from that, that's basically your experience in a nutshell. And that's what people want to see. And when somebody is reviewing your CV amongst probably 50 others, they're skimming it for keywords. No one reads the whole thing. So if you've got paragraphs after paragraphs, don't do that. Bullet points. Bullet point. I've worked with X, Y, and Z. Bullet point. At this particular role, I created the X, Y, and Z screen. Bullet point, etc. So people can just skim it and be like, right, we're looking for someone that has GraphQL experience. Maybe we need a bit of um, JavaScript because they need to be able to converse with the people that are doing the website for some weird reason. I don't know why you'd need to do that, but whatever. And so they can just skim it and be like, right, he's got JavaScript exposure and he's done GraphQL and he's worked with the Facebook SDK. And so that looks like a good fit for this social network that we're trying to build as a startup. So let's get him in. That's basically what you want to do. You want to list your experiences. That's it. And a personal gripe, it also really grinds on me in 2020, as I'm recording this right now, people still put on their CV at the top, a little paragraph of a bio, you know, I'm hardworking, I'm this, I'm that, I'm willing to learn, blah, blah, blah. I did an interview on this podcast. I think it was episode five, maybe. I could be wrong with the recruiter a cybersecurity recruiter. And I asked him this question, like, does anybody read that? And he gave me a a good answer. But the key thing that stood out to me in that answer was who is going to write on their CV that they're not hardworking and that they're lazy and that they're not willing to learn, et cetera, et cetera. Nobody's going to write that. So the fact that you write it doesn't give you an advantage and it also wastes space on your CV that you could be boasting about things that people actually are interested in. Like I have experience in whatever. And now LinkedIn LinkedIn is pretty similar. You can go and look at my LinkedIn. It's pretty public. I think you can also find it at robj.me slash LinkedIn. It's probably not perfect. I'm sure people will hate it when they see it. But the good thing that I like about my LinkedIn is one, I get messages every single day about roles, which means people are finding me by the things that I've written on my LinkedIn page, obviously. And two, it's super easy to read. I worked at all these different companies. I worked on all these different apps. And in each thing, I don't talk about the whole project, I talk about the standout thing because every single thing that I've worked on involves working with REST APIs for the most part. So I don't need to list in every single job listing that I have on my LinkedIn. I worked with REST APIs. I worked with, I just have to put it once. And then same with other things. Like once something's pretty common, I don't have to keep saying it over and over again. If I've done something of note, I will say it. So in my current role right now, one of the things that I've worked on is GraphQL. GraphQL is brand new to me. It's not anywhere else on my LinkedIn. So it's now going to be on my LinkedIn on that post and it's going to say experience in GraphQL because GraphQL is new-ish for me at least. And it's up and coming and it's something people are interested in and it's something that was noteworthy in this particular role. So where do you find work once you've got your CV and your resume and your LinkedIn right? Where do you find work? So my answer to that question is pretty simple. My process for finding work is also pretty simple. There's a lot of people that go on Upworks and Elancer or you know Juno, all these different websites for freelancers. And I think they're great. But the thing that I don't like about a lot of them is that they involve bidding. So not monetarily, but somebody posts a project, you have to kind of pitch them why you're good for the project, how much you're going to charge them to do the project. And one, I don't want to have to do that. It's time consuming. And two, there's so much competition. The people that are the people that are hiring people from there you don't really know what you're getting. So you're kind of just looking at what have they written? Who's written better than somebody else? Who's quoted cheaper than somebody else? Who said they can deliver faster than somebody else? So I kind of, I stay away from all that. I think it's great to be on there. 
there's some websites that I'm on where it's just passive and people can find my profile and then they can send me a request to look at their brief. And if they do that, I'm totally into it because then obviously they're interested in me. I'll have a look. I'll get back to them. I'll tell them, yes, I can do it. No, I can't. Here's my day rate. Aside from that, if I'm, if I'm out of a job today and I'm looking for a role tomorrow, the process that I use to find work is super simple. I update my CV. I do it on Google Docs. I download a PDF of my CV. I go to two or three different job boards. It doesn't matter which ones in the UK you've got. Um, I think Total Jobs, read.co.uk, in other countries, you've got a whole bunch of different job websites that advertise all the different jobs. I'm not talking about software development. I'm talking about jobs where you find office jobs, software development jobs, building jobs, all sorts, right? Okay, so that noise you just heard was me being interrupted by a phone call. So, you know, the brilliance of editing. So where was I? Right. So I go to all these different job boards and I usually pick about three and I find three different contract roles for I'm an Android developer. So I'm looking for Android roles. If you're iOS, you'd be looking for iOS. If you're something else, you're looking for that. I find three random ones and I apply for that by uploading my CV because all these websites require you upload your CV and that's basically it. And if I can't find any contract roles, I apply for permanent roles. And if you're wondering why I do this, especially because what I probably forgot to mention is I apply for random roles as in these are roles that I don't particularly want. But the reason that I do this is because every time I've done this since I started in 2012, about an hour after I've done this, I start getting phone calls from recruiters who somehow got hold of my CV, evidently from these job boards. And I don't know how it works. I don't know if recruiters pay these job boards to have access to all the CVs or however it works. But I start getting phone calls from all these recruiters. And now there's all these recruiters out there that are actively looking for a new role for me. Because if they get me a new role, they're going to get paid. And that's basically what I do is I leverage recruiters because it's their job to find people roles. It makes it much easier for me because now I have access to all these different roles based on them emailing them to me or calling me with them. I don't have to actively start searching. I don't miss out on roles because I might have searched in a place where that role wasn't particularly advertised. And, you know, within a week, I could have a new role just from the fact that you now have people actively out there looking for you. And this would also really help if you are going from a permanent position to freelance or if you're new to being a freelancer because recruiters don't care. For the most part, they don't actually really understand what they're recruiting for. So if you tell them, I have zero experience and I'm going to be a freelancer and here's my portfolio, they'll start shopping you around anyways, and you might not get the rate that you want, but you get your first contract, and then the next role you can negotiate a higher rate, and a higher rate, and so on and so forth. And if you're coming from a permanent position, they will pitch you to the same people that they would pitch me to, because they don't care that you came from a permanent position, they just care whether you have the experience for the role they're recruiting for, so they can get you that role, and they can get paid, and then you get hired. So I think that is it from listener questions and topics that I personally wanted to speak on. If you have any more questions, please feel free to DM me on Twitter or on LinkedIn or join the Slack community at coffeeencodingpod.com slash Slack and DM me there as well. If you found this useful, feel free to hit me up and let me know. I'd really love some feedback. And also, if you didn't find it useful or you disagree with everything that I said in this podcast, then hit me up and let me know. And I would gladly take on that feedback as well. I'm also hosting a talk and a workshop in October on Zoom. I've not promoted it anywhere yet. This is kind of a test. So if you got to this part of the episode and you're hearing this, then please feel free to sign up. It's going to be on this topic of freelancing and there's also going to be an active Q&A and probably a little more practical advice. It is 100% free if you want to sign up, but there are limited spaces. 
and the sign up link is at coffeeencodingpod.com slash workshop one. Finally, if you have any other topics you'd like me to speak on, do let me know. And if there's enough demand, I'll record a few more of these 101 type episodes and you can just essentially download all the information I have in my head straight to your podcasting app. If you like the show, you can subscribe wherever you listen to podcasts and don't forget to leave us a rating or a review. You can do that either via Apple Podcasts or via podchaser.com. The link is in the show notes. If you'd like to support the show, you can do so with a coffee donation at coffeeencodingpod.com slash donate. Caffeine is literally what fuels this podcast. If you'd like to connect with me, you can do so on Twitter at lowcarbrob. And if you'd like to connect with like-minded developers and other listeners, you can do so in our Slack community at coffeeencodingpod.com slash Slack. Thank you for listening, and I'll catch you on the next episode of the Coffee Encoding Podcast.